the Apostle Peter has been one who has um, writing to a group of Christians to strongly encourage them how to live for Jesus in a hostile world. So we're going to learn more about that tonight. Before we do that, I will invite you to pray with me and I want to pay particularly for the Paisans again. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have the opportunity to be able to come together. Thank you for your word, for your spirit. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Saviour who makes it possible for us to be your children, a family together. And so, Lord, for ourselves tonight, we pray that you might speak to us again by your Spirit, through your Word, through this passage, that we might hear you speaking to us, that we might understand what you want us and require of us as followers of the Lord Jesus. We pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for those who are absent from us. We pray particularly for Pastor David still on holidays and stiff. Pray that you'll keep them safe, bring them home safe, refreshed, energised and ready to continue on. We remember likewise Lord the Paysans and we pray for the whole family, Yong and Suzanne, for Sebastian, Jacinta and Raphael. We pray for their transport situation that you'll provide, fix up whatever's necessary and that they will experience your provision. Help them with the language acquisition. We pray that you might give them contacts and an impact for the gospel in all of their relationships. And we pray, like they have identified, that you might raise up more workers for the work in Thailand. So, Lord, for the Paysans particularly, but for all of our missionaries and for us as missionaries, living in a world which is estranged from you, we pray that you might help us to live lives that honour you and that attract others to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Readers Digest tell the story about a young guy who was going to get his licence <coughs> and he was faultless. He only made one mistake. This is the, um, the examiner who says this. He was faultless until he dropped me off where he had to... Uh, let me off back at the office and as I was getting out of the car he made this comment he said I'm glad I don't have to drive like that all the time fail it was all a show he was performing properly because someone was watching so too for some people who name the name of Christ, they perform properly when someone is watching. But when no one is watching, they go back to their old ways. There is a tremendous inconsistency in their life. And Peter is writing to a group of people who were unbelievers, saved, changed, taken, if you sent like taken out of the world, changed by God, but then put back into the world amongst other unbelievers and directed to live different lives. Not just because someone was watching, but because they had been changed, that they had been redeemed, that they had been forgiven. That's the challenge that we have to grapple with tonight. Studies have certainly been done, and you've heard these sorts of comments before, where people... Hundreds of people, hundreds of young people have been surveyed, not just young people, all ages of sorts of people. People who profess to know Jesus, people who go to church, 
who therefore may or may not be genuinely born again. But anyway, they're churchgoers who say they're Christians and compare that to the statistics of those who don't go to church, who don't confess Jesus as Lord. And you compare them across certain criteria. So in terms of marriage, this group of people who go to church say Jesus is Lord, that the divorce rate amongst those sorts of marriages is exactly the same as these people. There's no difference. That businessmen who name the name of Christ and go to church, their reputations are no different to people who don't name the name of Christ. That these people who go to church, particularly the youngest guys who are not married yet, their sexual lives, their sexual activities is just the same as those who don't name the name of Christ. In other words, going to church and naming the name of Christ is making no impact on their life. The one word of caution I want to give to that survey, to those sorts of studies is, is that it really is for people who go to church and for people who say they believe. It's not necessarily of people who are Bible-believing, born-again and genuinely converted. Once you survey those people, the statistics do change. But for the genuine believer, for instance, just on one criteria, let's take divorce. That in the world, <coughs> it used to be about 47.5% of the people who got married were getting divorced. The statistics is outrageously high. And remarriage rates are high as well. And the sad thing is it was the same in this other criteria, 47.5, exactly the same figure. But when you ask that same question, the same survey, amongst people who were, I confess Jesus as Lord, I believe the Bible, I read the Bible every day, I pray, I tithe, the criteria that we use to test whether a person is genuinely born again, then the divorce rate for those people is not 47.5, it's about 1 or 2%. It's much less, still present, but significantly less that the Gospel does make a difference. That's the only criteria I want to give in terms of when we compare these things. But my point that I want you to miss is <clears throat> that if we name the name of Christ, there is to be a change in our life. As I said, Peter writes to people who are new believers in the Lord Jesus, who have been taken from their unbelieving backgrounds, who are still living in an unbelieving environment, society, where there is pressure to conform, and Peter calls them to live in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus. The hope of his return and holiness here. Because Jesus is coming, I need to be changed. These things often go together in the New Testament. One goes with the other. In fact, John writes uh, in 1 John 3.3 that everyone who has this hope in him or in them, that Jesus is coming and coming for them, everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves just as he is pure. The hope leads to a change in the here and now. And so Peter writes in this passage to a group of people who have become followers and he's challenging them to be holy. Now let me just push the rewind button and remind you of what we said last week very, very quickly. That God is a God who has acted in our world. He sent Jesus into the world and that because of Jesus' death and resurrection and because of our trust and faith in him, not just attending church and not just mouthing the words, but genuinely experiencing new birth in Christ through Jesus. Therefore, we have an inheritance in heaven which is indestructible, 
it's reserved for us and it's, we are protected for it. Our salvation is secure in Christ. <clears throat> Not only do we have an inheritance, but we have an experience here and now which is being filled with joy. Even though living in this world can be difficult, even though there can be sufferings and there can be trials. This is what Peter says in his very first paragraph. And he says, This salvation was predicted by the prophets, probed by the angels. They looked into it and they wondered what it was going on, on all about and it was proclaimed to you and you guys have accepted it. And verse 1 he says, Therefore, we are to live as temporary residents, foreigners, sojourners, people who are passing through. This world is not our home. This is not where we live permanently. But God has saved us and is preparing us for a new world. So these are the people that Peter is writing to and he calls them to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, the word itself means to be different. Not weird, odd, different, but different. Different to the people around us who don't know God, who don't know Jesus. Different in values, different in character, different in behaviours. Different. Not necessarily better than, though, but different too. Certainly not holier than thou, not that superior attitude, not that. But different both for me, different to what I used to be like, I am changed and changing. I am much nicer and much better than what I was before I knew Jesus. So different for me, but also therefore different to the people around me because of the different values, because of the different standards, because of what Jesus is doing in us. We are called to be different in this world. Now, I'm sorry I don't have any PowerPoint. It would be helpful if I did. But there are three things to know about holiness. There is positional holiness. There is progressive holiness. And there's perfect holiness. And if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you get all three. Number one, there's positional. It's because you have repented, believed and accepted Jesus that you have been transferred from the kingdom of sin, self and Satan and you've been transferred in the kingdom of Jesus. You are positionally different. Does that make sense? You've been forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are forgiven. You have salvation. Positionally, legally forgiven and declared to be holy before God. That's our legal status. Then secondly... There is a progressive holiness which is to happen in our life in this world that we are to grow and change, that we are to mature and it's a process that we go through. An old missionary once described it as, and I've never forgotten it, I find it so helpful, that it's like living within us we have two natures and he said, he used the analogy of two dogs. There's a black dog and there's a white dog. The black dog is my old sinful nature. The white dog is my new nature in Christ. He said, depending on which dog I feed, depends on which one becomes stronger. That's simple, isn't it? That's clear. You feed your old sinful nature, it will dominate your life. If you feed your new nature, your nature in Christ, that will dominate your life. And the thrust of the New Testament is that we are to be feeding our new nature in Christ. The old nature is still present. It can still have an influence and Peter will certainly talk about that tonight. 
that we are to be progressing. Not to give in to the flesh, to the sinful nature, but to follow the Spirit and to obey the Word of God and to become more like Jesus. It's a process. It's a process that we have to embark on. In fact, if we do not embark on it, then it probably is a warning to us that there is no genuine change and that we do not have that inheritance. We are not forgiven. And we will find ourselves estranged from God forever. There is positional holiness, there is progressive holiness, and one day, gloriously, I don't fully understand it, but there is going to be perfect holiness. When Jesus returns, somehow, suddenly, we all get transformed and we all become perfected immediately. When we see him, we will be transformed to be like him in an instant. The old sinful nature will be gone and only the new nature will remain. The problem I have and the question I have, and I don't have an answer, If I'm going to be perfected when Jesus comes, why should I bother following him now? If I'm not going to be perfect anyway in this life, why don't I just wait for him to come and then I'll be perfected then? I'm sure some people think like that. And I'm not sure I have a sound answer to it. But I have a guess. And I'm really throwing this out to you tonight cautiously, not strongly. I wonder. That what we do now, of how much we progress now, is what will be reflected then. I wonder. It causes me to tremble. It motivates me. It kicks me in the backside. It tells me to grow up quick. I wonder if the level of maturity we attain in this life is the level of maturity we will have in the next life. I wonder if there is a direct link. It's not without biblical reasons that we could go into, but I just offered that out to you tonight, that Peter is calling us to be a people who are holy and that we are to progress in holiness in this life and given the opportunities and the light that we have will have an impact upon our rewards and our status our stand, I don't know what the word is in the next life that's what that great theologian Russell Crowe said in the movie Gladiator what we do in time echoes in eternity Now I'm happy to correction on that. It's just I'm just wondering, just trying to think it through. The Bible doesn't give us lots of answers to those sorts of things, but there are certainly those three truths. Positionally in Christ, made holy. Can't lose it. If it's genuine, if you've got it, can't lose it. He keeps me. And this I've got that positionally in him, then there will be progress in my life. There will be change and transformation. And then ultimately I will not achieve the end goal but he will bring me to the end goal when Jesus comes. 
And I'm suggesting to you, I wonder if that end goal is different depending on the progress that we make in this life. That's what I'm suggesting. Well, let's move on. And to be very clear, while Peter calls us to be holy, to be different, I need to be clear on this, that striving to be holy doesn't get us into heaven. Striving to be holy does not get us into heaven. Jesus gets me into heaven. My good works, my Christian maturity and all of that stuff doesn't save me. It demonstrates, it it reflects that I am saved. Knowing Jesus is the only way for me to get into heaven. Trust in him. But if I trust in him, then I will be changed. And if I am not being changed, and there's a big diagnostic clue that I have not, I don't know him, that I haven't been converted. Well, let's come to this passage that Peter has outlined for us because it's not easy to live here in this life, to be holy in this world. It's not easy. As I said to the congregation this morning, somebody very wisely said, and I like the quote, which is why I used it, it's of an old, I think an old brethren guy, but I'm not sure. His initials are CHM. If you know CHM, you can come and tell me his name because that's all I know him as. He said this, the Christian life, the life of faith, is nothing more than a life with ups and downs, rises and falls, missteps and corrections that demonstrate both the weakness of the human person but also the grace and patience of God. It's very true. The Christian life is nothing more than a series of seeking to follow God as best we possibly can and there will be rises, great times, there will also be falls, we will stumble. There will be missteps, we will depart, we'll get distracted, we'll sin, we'll go astray. But there will be corrections and God will bring us back on course. That's the Christian life. That's what the New Testament outlines for us. The Christian life is not, accept Jesus and all my life's problems are over and it's ever onward, upward and it's smooth all the way. No sorry, that's not true. Life has its ups and downs and its twists. Living for Jesus in this life is a tough call. It's the best call, but it's tough. And so Peter gives us three ways that we can in fact be holy in this passage. We won't get through the whole lot to 25, but if we get down to about 21 or so, then we'll be doing very well. Hmm. We'll be doing extremely well. Verse 13, Peter says, three ways. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. If we want to be holy in this life, then we need to, number one, focus on Christ's coming. Number two, be obedient in all of life. And number three, grow in our knowledge of God's holiness. It's too quick for you to grab, so we'll go through that again quickly. Number one, to be holy, to become a person who is increasingly like Jesus in this fallen world with all of its distractions and temptations, we need to focus on the fact that he is coming and his grace is going to be revealed to us happens here in the mind with what we believe. Jesus is coming. I have to be ready. Pastor David and I have an ongoing conversation where he'll often say to me at the beginning or the end of a day that Jesus might come today. <clears throat> this is going to take me way off track. We're going to get into a whole other discussion. I don't want to do that. And I, I say to him, he's not coming today we have a different view on how the kingdom is going to be worked out. And that's okay. And one day he's going to be right. (laughs) 
Jesus is going to come on that day. And as I say to him, I don't care if I'm wrong. But he's not coming today. So far, I'm right. (laughs) Because Jesus hasn't come. I don't know why I shared that with you, but anyway. We need to focus on the second coming of Jesus. Whether you think he can come today or not, he's coming. And And because he's coming, therefore that should impact the way that I live, the choices I live and make. That's the point. That's what Peter's wanting to make. And so verse 13, he says, holy living begins in the mind. This is important. Even if we only get through the first few points, get this one. Holy living begins in the mind. What you think and what you allow yourself to think about impacts your lifestyle, your behaviour. Proverbs 4 verse 23 in the authorised version says um, to guard your heart, to guard your mind for it is the issue of life. What you think today walks tomorrow. Guard your mind. Deal with sin therefore at the thought level. We all have wicked thoughts, don't we? We all do. None of us are different or accepted. We simply need to confess them. If we're envious or jealous of somebody, then we need to arrest that thought, confess it to God and ask him to replace that envy or jealousy with a love for that person or a freedom from those things. If we have lustful thoughts, and we all do, then we simply need to arrest that and to replace it with dwelling upon Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.5, maybe a little bit out of context, but it's a great verse which says, to bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. To bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Holiness begins at the thought level. What you think and allow yourself to think about. Don't allow yourself to dwell upon sin or to entertain it. Guard what enters your mind like you guard what enters your mouth. You wouldn't eat garbage. Well, don't think about sinful, sensual, materialistic things. Replace them. Christ is coming. Dwell upon that hope that he is coming. Remind yourself of that continually. Living in this world is a series of ups and downs and that is often in our minds where we fall. So it begins in the mind. Holy living also requires us to be spiritually alert. He says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, be sober, is the literal word that he uses, to be clear and to be discerning. We live in enemy territory and Peter says in chapter 5 verse 8 that the evil one, he says, be sober, be alert, because the devil is like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. There is a line in the street. Be alert. Be aware. If you fill your mind with junk, if you dwell upon sinful things, then it's like losing self-control. It's like getting drunk. And you will stagger out into the street where the line will grab you, if you get the analogy. We are to live in this world spiritually alert expecting temptation and being prepared to resist it. And it is possible to do so because of the change that's coming in us, because of God's presence in our life by his spirit. And we are certainly, as I have said, to focus on the grace that is to come. We've already tasted it, we've experienced it, we've got 
forgiveness of sins, we have peace in our heart, we know what it's like to be saved, we can sense God's nearness often, not always, but often. But we haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. Fill your minds with that, that God is going to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. That's what Peter is saying in this verse. Therefore, because of this great salvation, because Jesus came and died for us and because you've got an inheritance, because he's coming back, therefore, be alert in your minds. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you when the Lord Jesus comes. Then he goes on to say, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you once had or had lived in an ignorance. To be holy, we have to be fully obedient in all of life. If we're serious about following God, then there's no other option. We have to be fully obedient in every area of life. It happens like this. We are to establish the habit of obedience. Verse 14, as obedient children. Verse 2, in fact, he says, that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. God saved us to be obedient. And so now we're part of his family, which means he is the one who is in charge. We aren't. That's the difference. That's the change. Before we used to live our life by ourselves and we made the choices and we did our own thing. But now, because we have Jesus, now because we have repented, changed our mind, accepted him, we now have a new boss. We have a heavenly father who now leads us and directs us and he requires us as his children to be obedient. He's in charge. He is the one that we are to obey. We are not perfect, but to the best of our abilities, with stumbles, with missteps, we are to have integrity that we are to obey, that when we do stumble, that when we do misstep, we are to confess, we are to come back, we are to apologise, to repent, to forsake our sin and to start again. That's this ongoing walk with God and we get better and better and better at it. It's a process. It's not instant. So for us to focus on holy living, it begins in our mind, we are to be spiritually alert, we're to focus on the Lord Jesus coming back, he says, the full grace to be revealed to us, and we are to develop the habit of being fully obedient as obedient children. We are to break with our previous lifestyle. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. They're still in us. Those evil desires are still there. They're the black dog that's still in us. Just don't feed the black dog. Don't think about it. Don't indulge it, but resist it. But I can't resist it. Well, actually, you can. Because his spirit now lives within you. Without him, you can't. But with him, you can. It's a choice. And you get to choose whom you will obey. Martin Luther said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can certainly stop them building a nest in your hair. It's a choice. Break with our previous lifestyle. Resist the evil desires that we still have living within us. We have a new Lord and a new kingdom, a new allegiance. That's what Peter is saying. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you, when you didn't know God, when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, 
So be holy in all that you do. Grow in our knowledge of who God is. What's the old adage? It's in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians says that um, bad company corrupts good morals. The people you hang out with will impact you. That's the reality. Now I'm not saying therefore don't have any non-Christian friends or don't hang out with non-Christians or whatever. I'm not saying that, obviously. It's rather we're to go into the world to be salt and light. But if you hold people very close to you, if you allow people who are not followers of the Lord Jesus to be in your heart, to be your best friends, your closest friends, if you like, your only friends, if there is no influence from God's people, if there is no taking in of God's word, if you just have non-Christian influences and listen to the TV and the the media and everything else, then you will not be a holy person. It's too hard. That's why we need each other and we need the scriptures and so on. And the more you hang out with God in your life, where he is central, the more you will become like him. The people we hang around with are the people who are going to influence us. You hang around with God, you're going to become like him. And he's a much stronger influence than any non-Christians. And so you can have an influence even on them by them having an association with you. Leonard Ravenhill says this, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy person out of an unholy world and make that person holy and then put that person back into an unholy world and keep them holy in it the greatest miracle God can do changing us and leaving us in this world as changed living for him tough call but that's the call that Peter is calling us and then he gives two quick motivations and I'll just give them to you and close verse 17 why should we do this because of this great salvation certainly verse 17 he says since you call on a father who judges each man's or each person's work impartially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear Why should we be holy? Because we have a father, a loving father, who is also our judge. Verse 17, that's the motivation. We are his children. He cares for us, he provides for us, he is tender with us, but he is also the one who will judge us. He is the one who will scrutinise our life. He is the one whom we will appear before and he will examine us. He's a loving father, but he's an all-knowing father. And he will examine us against the criteria of our advancement in this life, our progressive sanctification or holiness. Why should we be holy? Because God is our judge. And so therefore we should live the rest of this life in reverence and godly fear. That's what Peter says. We don't know how long we've got. So you may have stuffed up, messed up, previous part of your life, doesn't matter change now. Make Jesus Lord of your life and you can have an improved life and a better ending. God can deal with the past but you have to make a decision about how you're going to live with your future day by day. And Peter calls us as followers of Jesus to live holy, to be different. Different to what we were, different to those who are around us. And the second reason he gives, not only because God is our Father and Judge, we should be holy because God has redeemed us at great cost. Verse 18. For you know, we weren't not with perishable things like silver or gold, as precious as that is, 
you, were re- you weren't redeemed with that from the empty way of life, but with the very precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. God has redeemed us at great cost. And it's an awful illustration, but I want to give it to you. I think it's disgusting, but I think that's the point. For us to go on as followers of Jesus and live in sin, to have things that we indulge in, things that we keep secret. And most of us probably do. We just need to step it up a little bit and be done with it. Not to think about it, to say no to indulging it. To do that is like a wife who has a loving husband but with whom she is unfaithful and she has an affair with somebody else. And the person with whom she has an affair, things go nasty and the other person, the adulterer, seeks to kill her, to murder her, to take her life. And the loving husband steps in to protect her. And in turn, he gets killed. He dies protecting her because of his love for her. And then after the funeral for her husband who has died, she goes seeking this previous lover to have a romance with him. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Well, that's what it's like when we have a new Lord, the Lord Jesus, and we still indulge in these secret, hidden behaviours, our sin. The very thing that he died to redeem us from we are courting and having an affair with. God has redeemed us from that. And that's Peter's argument. We should be holy because God has redeemed us at great cost. How dare we flirt with sin? So the bottom line is we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. So therefore let us glorify God in our body and in our spirit in all of life. Not just in church on Sundays, but at work on Mondays, at home on Tuesdays, and in the world on Wednesdays, every day, living differently, different to what we were, different to those who are around us, in obedience to him. It begins with the mind, our thought level. It requires us to be spiritually alert. We live in enemy territory. And it requires us to focus on the king who is coming, the grace that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus comes. We are to break with our previous lifestyle, establish the habit of obedience, and we are to do so because God, our loving Heavenly Father, is also our judge and because he has redeemed us at great cost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your incredible plan of salvation. Thank you for all that you have done, will do. And thank you for the incredible plan that you have in store for us when Jesus comes. The grace that we will experience, the change, the transformation and the glory. Between now and then, Lord, help us to be done with sin in our minds, in our behaviours, in our words, in the choices we make. Help us to 
be a different people, to live for Jesus, for him to be our Lord, not just in word but in reality. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you might change us in such a way that we would be light in the midst of the darkness. For the honour and glory of Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.